0: From the nation's capital, this is Use Your Voice with Penny Nance, President and CEO of Concerned Women for America. Here's your host, Penny Nance. Welcome, everyone. This is Penny Nance. I'm the CEO and President of Concerned Women for America. and Welcome to Use Your Voice. This is a podcast and a broadcast on behalf of Concerned Women for America. November is National Adoption Awareness Month. I love the fact that it coincides with the month of Thanksgiving because adoption is a picture of the heart of God and the beautiful expression of support for life. In fact, adoption is integral in being pro-life. I have a very special program today as we talk about the issue of adoption. I want to welcome to the program DJ Jordan, who's a longtime friend of Concerned Women for America and a personal friend, he and his wife Gloria, of mine. Jordan, of course, is a proud graduate of Liberty University, as am I, a proud flame. And has worked, he's had an unbelievably stellar career on Capitol Hill and has worked for many of my heroes, uh, men like Robert Adderholt. Uh, congressman from Alabama, and Senator James Lankford, who there's just no better heart or soul on Capitol Hill than James Lankford. You were his communications director, mm-hmm. so you've had about 10 years on Capitol Hill, recently have left, and you're running for the state legislature in Virginia, which we're hoping Sorry. that that works out, but we wanted you on today to talk about such an important issue. This is, of course, Adoption Awareness mm-hmm. Month. And I would love for you to share a little bit about your personal story. Mm -hmm. So give our listeners a little glimpse into who you are.
1: Well, born and raised in Hampton Roads, Virginia area, also called the 757. Went to Liberty University um, after high school in the area, played football while I was there, had a great time, and met the woman of my dreams there and got married. We moved to Washington, D.C. and I started my career and and my family here. Um, Actually started in broadcast journalism, I worked for a sports broadcasting uh, station, and then I went to work for uh, CNN, and then I went to work for Fox News, which uh, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, but in the summer of 2008 is when I uh, switched over to Capitol Hill and, um, and started working for uh, great conservatives like Congressman Adderhold and Senator Langford. And uh, during that time on the Hill is when um, my wife and I, um, you know, grew our family. Uh, We have four kids. One of them is adopted, Tori, which I'll tell that story in a bit. Um, But during that time, God really put a strong passion on our heart for ministry, uh, for pro-life pregnancy centers, uh, and for foster care and adoption. And so during that time, um, I actually also went back to school to the Johns Hopkins University, got a master's in public management, um, because I began to think about how to uh, make laws from uh, from an elected point of view, which is something that I began to pray about.
0: Did the Lord use things in your own history to sort of begin your journey towards Tory? Mm-hmm. And uh, and by the way, none of this is a surprise to God where you ended right. up. And well, answer that part, and then I have another question. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, um, God used a series of events, I believe. Well, first of all, our first child. Um, we, we had him um, and conceived him very early in our marriage. We were not ready mm-hmm. to be parents, and we were all alone in the Washington, D.C. area. I feel and, you. I got the same story. <laughs> and our church wrapped around us, but mm-hmm. also a pregnancy center wrapped around us mm-hmm. and gave us a lot of support emotionally and resources-wise. Mm-hmm. And so um, that was our first connection with the pro-life movement, believe it or not, mm-hmm. being served by them. And then, um, about five, six years into our marriage, when we were a whole lot more stable, we actually went back to the pregnancy resource center as volunteers, mm. and we began to work in the in the center. I eventually um, became a board of directors mm-hmm. of the pregnancy, the very same pregnancy resource center that helped us, and my wife became a volunteer coordinator, and a counselor, and a parent coordinator. And so, through that experience, actually, is when. God began to talk to us about adoption. And a couple of examples, um, you know, some people who would come in, some young women who would come in, Mm -hmm. and my wife would counsel with them, and my wife would encourage a life decision. Mm -hmm. Some of the clients would say things like, why should I consider adoption? I mean, there's not families like you guys adopting. Meaning what?
0: What about you guys?
1: Well, we we're, were a minority, we're African-American, right. and you know we would have minority clients, either Hispanic or black, and they would think of adoption as something that- It's always you know, white families, Yeah, right? these mm-hmm. rich, rich white families mm-hmm. who live in rural areas of the suburbs, mm-hmm. and they never thought of other com- families of color adopting their child. And I tell you what, those questions asking my wife and me really changed the way we looked at not only just pro-life, but adoption, foster care, and vulnerable children and vulnerable families Mm -hmm. on the whole. And then it was that point where we started asking ourselves a question. Could God be calling us to do that? Mm.
0: Hold on right there. We're going to come back in just a minute. You're listening to Use Your Voice. Hey ladies, you're smart, passionate and savvy. You care about your family and you care about our nation. That's why you should join Concerned Women for America. I'm Penny Nance, President and CEO of Concerned Women for America and I pray you will visit ConcernedWomen.org to learn how you can add your voice to the largest public policy women's organization in the nation. That's ConcernedWomen.org. Welcome back. We're with Daryl Jordan we're talking about the issue of adoption and we were just talking about the barriers really to adoption as you and your wife served as a resource in a crisis pregnancy center in more urban area of Virginia. And, you know, as an African American family, the question is like, there's nobody like you adopting.
1: Right. And it also got us uh, diving into the issue of adoption and foster care. And we started doing a lot of research. And uh, and we found out first of all that there were a lot of kids in foster care that needed to be adopted right now in our own communities. Mm-hmm. We always thought of adoption as something being an international issue, mm-hmm. or you know, some you know birth mothers making the decision to adopt as babies. But um, we, I mean, our minds were just blown about the statistics. I mean, in Virginia right now, there's about 5,000 children in the foster care system. In various states all across the country, there are as high as 15,000 children in the foster care system. That
0: are available for adoption.
1: Not available for adoption, just children who are in foster care. Mm -hmm. And on average, between five and 20% of those children are available and in need of adoptive family right now. Mm -hmm. Like for example, in Virginia, we have 5,000 kids in the system, but we have 1,000 kids Mm -hmm. who need to be adopted right now. They need adoptive families Mm -hmm. and they're, all different age ranges we ha- there are babies there are infants there are toddlers there are children and there are teenagers mm-hmm. um, all along that way and we also found out that in many states especially in the Mid-Atlantic and in the South there are a lot there is an overrepresentation of children of color mm-hmm. there are a lot of black kids and Hispanic kids and, and children who need to be adopted um, that are disproportionate to the actual population in that state mm-hmm. there are some cities like Baltimore, like Chicago, like Washington, D.C., where 80% of the children who need to be adopted are children of color. And so um, you know that just exploded and hit us in the face when Mm. we started to do that research, me and my wife. And the question became no longer should we, it became how can we not be a part of the solution? And so in the year of 2010, Mm -hmm. we went to an event at our church called Orphan Sunday which is the second Sunday in November where churches all across America and all across the world will actually devote one Sunday to exploring what the Bible says about adoption. And um, we went to the church service and my goodness, you know. Did you know what
0: you were walking into? No, we did not.
1: (laughs) But it was perfect because we had a lot of questions and there were a lot of answers there. Not only spiritually, theologically, Mm -hmm. but also practically. They had actual social workers there that could answer questions and tell us about the process, because it seems so daunting at first. Right. People think about adoption and foster care, and they're like, oh, that's, that's crazy. I couldn't do that. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough patients. I don't have enough rooms in my house. But those events are really important, and what better place to talk about that than in the church.
0: Who are specifically called to the widow and the orphan. Amen,
1: right, James one twenty seven. It says, pure and undefiled religion is to care for orphans and widows in their distress. Isaiah 117 talks about defending the oppressed doing justice, but specifically it talks about pleading the cause of the fatherless, defending the fatherless. It says that over and over and over, and especially where there are references to justice, when it talks about Christians are to do justice, oftentimes orphans are among the top in the list that they are talking about. And so the church has to be a solution to this. These are the most vulnerable uh, human beings on the earth, um, outside of the womb. Inside of the womb is a vulnerable place as well. But we need to be a solution. Um, We need to be a part of the solution to the adoption crisis. I feel like somehow
0: along the way, we stopped understanding that our responsibility as the church is to care for the orphans, and we sort of ceded that to the state, right? And the Mm -hmm. state is an important stopgap but it's not supposed to be the end of the story. And as part of the pro-life community, Mm -hmm. this is part of the bigger picture of how we're supposed to behave as believers and how we're supposed to support an ethic of life. And I love how you pointed out that it's not just babies, you know, and there's a place for that, but there's children of all different ages, sibling groups, and maybe that seems daunting. But even, you know, one of the areas that my husband and I have looked into and are looking into for the future is there's teenagers that are getting ready to age out of the system, Mm -hmm. and they're 18 and they're done. And those kids, in some cases, are the most vulnerable because they don't have the life skills to survive. And many of those girls become pregnant right Mm -hmm. away, or, and the boys often end up in prison. Mm -hmm. And so,
1: You've done your homework, yeah.
0: We we strongly understand that there is an opportunity there for the church to teach these kids just the normal things we taught our own kids. Mm -hmm. How to shop for yourself, how to live on a budget, how to prepare them for an adulthood when there's not really been any example for them really solid, and some, not in every case, because there's great foster families out there, but some of these kids have been institutionalized. Right. So they don't have, ha- have not had the opportunity to learn the life skills. So that's something I feel so deeply about. And it's just, you know, there, it's another level, another opportunity to serve.
1: I'm so glad you said that because children and people were never meant to be raised by the government. Right, That was never the intention for people and for children. It was God's design for children to be raised in a family. So when that does not happen, there are always gonna be negative outcomes and consequences. And we see that from children who age out of the foster care system. I mean, you talked about it already, prison, drug addiction, pregnancy. Right now, 70% of all girls who age out of the foster care system are pregnant by the age of 21, 70%. Now, many of them, will be exposed to abortion because they're already connected to government and mm-hmm. social workers will often present that to them. And so that needs to be something where the church is right there. Right. We are not only teaching healthy sexual ethic, mm-hmm. but if pregnancy occurs, we still need to wrap around
0: mm-hmm. and that, rescue, that child
1: who is about to have another child. Right. So you're exactly right. Whether it be um, a host of social and emotional issues uh, mental health as well, mm-hmm. homelessness, all of those are occurring right. for uh, teenagers who are aging out. I don't know about you. I was not ready to live on my own as an eighteen year old uh, no. and I came from a stable family.
0: No, not at all. Like <laughs> I Liberty came from University, a stable University family. was kind of adulthood with training wheels and I needed it actually. Absolutely and, and we
1: have social workers today who are saying you you're an adult, you know, here is your monthly stipend and you know Good luck. Here, good luck. And We see a lot of bad things happening to that demographic, to that range. of.
0: Back to what you were saying about just the numbers. I know, uh, and maybe you can speak to this a little bit more deeply, but the opioid epidemic has overburdened the system because you have these children whose parents become addicted, Her mother becomes addicted, she's maybe alone, Mm -hmm. and then she's just gone. She's incapable of caring for them anymore. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly you have this system that was already strained now with this just onslaught now of children that they're not prepared for. And we're hearing from cities like, mm-hmm. you know, Philadelphia and Baltimore and others that are just, you know, New York, others that just, they're they're at a breaking they point.
1: They are. Yeah, you're exactly right. We're seeing it across the country, especially in the Midwest. Believe it or not, you'd be surprised some of the states like Texas and Oklahoma and Tennessee that are being absolutely ravaged. And the sad thing is that many of those states over the last probably eight to 10 years have actually seen some improvement in their foster care numbers overall. But over the last two years, you've seen a spike. Mm -hmm. It's gone right back up due to the opioid uh, epidemic. So that's gotta be something that we wrap around, especially the church. And one thing that we need to think about is a holistic perspective that also ministers to the biological family mm-hmm. because the church can offer some support there while the mother of the father is getting clean mm-hmm. and if the mother and the father aren't able to get clean then it might need to be an adoption situation but we should at least give them a chance for that family to become whole because again remember God's design is for family mm-hmm. and so we should be there to support them as well
0: you know I think about just on Sunday millions of people in the United States. We'll come together as the body of Christ Mm -hmm. and we will sing from our hymnals or we'll sing praise music with our hands up in the air and we will worship the Lord. Mm -hmm. But when we're in the middle of that in that moment of us being together, we've got to take a moment to recognize that there is so much brokenness around us Mm -hmm. and we've got to have a heart for the least of these and get out of our little boxes and our comfortable lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and I'm speaking to myself as much as I am, everyone else is listening, and go that extra mile and do what God has called us to do. My brother is adopted, so I feel very uh-huh. deeply about this issue and recognize how it changes lives. He, he came from a family of six brothers and sisters mm-hmm. and a group of the older ones were not adopted And the babies were and he was he was like six years old when my parents adopted him the kids that were adopted ended up being productive citizens my brother was in the military he was retired from the police force recently the older ones went to prison Mm -hmm. because they didn't have there was an addictive situation they didn't have people to step up Mm -hmm. to love on them and take them into their families and so anyway, I just feel so strongly. Yeah. Tell us about um, Tori's story. How did you end up with her and how, how has that changed not, your family?
1: We've known each other for years and I've, I did not know that about your brother, but i tell you what, that situation is almost identical to my daughter. Wow. So she is, was the youngest of five, born to uh, two individuals. They actually are from Delaware. And five of the children, of the five children, Three were put into foster care and eventually adopted. My daughter was one of them. Mm-hmm. Two of them they actually raised. And right now, um, I believe the oldest daughter is 21. She's homeless and has two kids. Oh, man. The next oldest has one child, and I believe, I think, on welfare. Hmm. They're not doing well. Mm-mm. They're not doing well because the outcomes are not good for people who don't have a stable family situation. But the three younger, Including my, they're all doing well. Mm -hmm. My daughter um, was born in July of 2011, which uh, God has really uh, has a sense of humor. Guess when we started our foster care training? Wow! July of 2011. Of course, we didn't even know who she was or whatever, (laughs) but God knew. He has a sense of humor where we actually started the very month she was born. He'd already picked her out for you. He'd already picked her out. And so we started then and we went through the process of foster care training and a home study, which is when the social worker comes to your house to make sure it's safe. Um, We did the background checks and and all of that. And uh, we actually fostered several children before we had Tori, we fostered Tori. But um, she came to our home in November of 2012 as an 18 month old. And uh, she came to um, our home and we loved on her. Oh, we loved her so much. But she was actually developmentally delayed because she had been in foster care since she was six, day, six weeks old. Mm. Um, she and her mother were in a dilapidated building and somebody called Child Protective Services and they immediately put her a foster care. Um, but she was in two foster homes before she came to our home. The last home was a home that had four other children And a daycare. Oh my
0: goodness! And
1: so our daughter didn't have a lot of one-on-one attention. Mm -hmm. So when she came to our home, she was not walking. She was not talking at 18 months. She was not feeding herself. Um, She was extremely delayed. The social workers and the doctors thought that there could be a mental illness, and we knew that going into it, and we said, or something neurological or delayment, yeah,
0: Mm -hmm. right.
1: And uh, God just spoke to and said, "That's our daughter." And so we said, of course, we'll, we'll welcome him, her into our home. Shortly before that, my wife quit her job. So my wife was able to be home full His time.
0: Gloria's a nurse, right? She's a
1: school. She's a registered nurse. Yeah. yeah, She's now a school nurse. At the time, she was at a hospital, yeah. but she quit her job. She's a registered nurse, um, which is great because mm-hmm. there's a lot of injuries in our household. That's <laughs> an, Again, another podcast for another day. But, um, and, you know, Victoria came into our home and um, it was hard to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. It was a hard transition for my, my wife. It was a hard transition for her because she was in this new strange place. And, uh, but my wife and our family loved on her in such an intense way that we saw an amazing transformation of our daughter to the point where she was completely caught up developmentally within six months of wow. being in our home. Within six months. And that just shows you the power, the power of love, love oh and the goodness. power of stability and the power of commitment mm-hmm. that a, a a stable family provides and that's the plan for children that is the plan mm-hmm. god knew what he was talking about it also um exposed this to something else that a lot of people don't think about but the neurological development in the first two years of life is so important so many foundational building blocks to uh, cognitive ability, Mm -hmm. to a whole bunch of other things come within that first two years of life. And so I think that's something that us as the church need to keep in mind when we are ministering to uh, not only adoptive children, but also mothers who decide to keep their babies and and single moms. Which I I should give a
0: little plug for Young Lives here. Okay. Um, Young Lives is a ministry of Young Life Ministries and it's to a mother and their babies. Yep. And so we have there's amazing women who are ministering and mentoring these young single moms and teaching them what they need to know, mm-hmm. and because they may not have anybody in their life who's right. teaching them what they need to know.
1: And that's why I love Concerned Women of America, because you're not just pro birth, you're pro life. We
0: are pro life, brother. Right? The whole thing. And from you are there, conception to natural death.
1: Exactly, exactly. And you walk with mm. women who are making this. Very, very uh, difficult decision, but after they make it, you stick with them.
0: Thank you. Yes, you're 100% right. And that's, that's you know, our point today is that being pro-life isn't about a bumper sticker. Mm-hmm. And we, although we like those, you know, mm-hmm. and it may not even be about going to the March for Life, which we love that. Mm-hmm. And um, it may not be about, you know, advocating, although we are all about advocating to, right. to Congress for pieces of legislation. It is an ethic that needs to be lived out in every single part of our lives in different ways for different people. And so um, what I'm hoping today is with with your story, with Tori's story and Glory's story and your family is we're opening people's minds to something else, something new, something else that you can do, whether it's adopting a baby, whether it's helping a teenager, whether it's helping mm-hmm. a young woman with a new baby who is completely lost. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, we were we're talking about how lost we were, <laughs> you know, as, you know, a twenty. I was a 29-year-old, right? Oh, was, <laughs> we got married I one February and, and yeah. had a baby the next February, and I was so in over my head, right, yeah. and needed family, and needed support that, you know, frankly, we didn't have. Mm-hmm. And so the church has got such an important role to play, Mm -hmm. and as we consider adoption this month, and we need to, we've got to really pray. I would ask all of our listeners to pray and ask God what it is that He has for your family. Mm -hmm. DJ, um, as someone who's worked on Capitol Hill, you know, of course, Concern Women for America is the nation's largest public policy women's organization. So any issue that we talk about, we always have a policy angle. I'd love to know what you think about where we are in public policy now. I know we have worked very hard, and as you have, to make sure there's the tax credit for adoption. That's a federal opportunity for people to recoup some of the costs of adoption for domestic adoption. I know you were talking about there's some state issues that you've noticed recently.
1: Right. There's probably people listening to this that are all over America. and so. One thing where a couple of states have done is to uh, increase the option for aging out of foster care from age 18 to 21, and I think that's actually good policy because most of the children who are—and I I do call them children Mm -hmm. because emotionally uh, and maturity-wise, it's where they're at—they're not well. They're right, socially delayed, right? Because they haven't. And they're, they're, not, training. They're, they're not ready to be on their own and so this legislation would not require them but it would give them the option mm-hmm. and would hopefully change the social workers encouragement for them to stay in and then a lot of some states have tax incentives as well especially for foster parents when you bring a foster child in some states now are providing a subsidy just mm-hmm. to help with the food the clothing and things like that that your family will will have to take care of and then um, I yeah, think because as
0: a foster parent, there's a cushion there, right? But right. then once you make it a forever legal family, you lose that. Because again, it's for government, it's an efficient use of. Because suddenly you're taking. You're saving
1: millions of dollars in possible future welfare Mm -hmm. or criminal justice expenses.
0: So you have this investment into a forever family for this kid that's going to have long term repercussions for their future and for the taxpayer.
1: And I think at many state levels it's important to allow faith based child welfare agencies to be able to serve. And we see in certain cities where if you are you hold a religious ethic on marriage then they cut your contract or anything. right when and we saw
0: that actually we're on in the Philadelphia area and that is the perfect Bethany example Christian because you have in Catholic charity so you have yeah. a situation where the systems overburdened mm-hmm. and strained and so you have people who are that don't recognize that social justice doesn't necessarily fit neatly into the box that you want it to fit in and you have all these amazing people that are doing adoptions and adhere to a biblical view of marriage and are accountable by the way to the churches and the people that fund them in that way and so suddenly they're being hamstrung and being their licenses are being revoked so we have taken a really firm stand on that issue there has to be religious accommodation. There has to be an opportunity for those that are caring for the least of these to not interfere with their conscience in order to serve. And so, anyway, that is an important issue that Concerned Women for America is continuing to lead on. But also, just the basic economics of the issue, that we need to help parents, because often it is not the rich families, mm-hmm. unlike some, what some people would think, mm-hmm. that are the willing, the most willing to step forward. It is often people who have other children and the mom's already at home and they don't have a lot of extra income. And so whether it's through tax credits, which we support, or through people who are listening stroking a check to the charities that make that possible, that to actually pay for other people's adoptions, we strongly support that idea. How can we pray for you and your family?
1: Oh, thank you so much. Um, you know, we're about to start running for, for office. Uh, the campaign starts in January. and. Most of your audience are well aware of how tough and and, and, and rumble that politics has become. Mm-hmm. So um, the the number one prayer for, for us is that we would honor God in everything that we say and do because we are ambassadors for Christ first and foremost. And we want to be a representative from Him and, and a witness mm-hmm. even in how we do politics. Mm-hmm. So I would say that's our biggest prayer.
0: Well, I can't think of anyone that would be... Um... A better representative for your constituents, or uh, you're such a man of honor, DJ, and such a godly man, and I just, it makes, it gives me um, enthusiasm and, and, um, encouraged to go forward when I recognize not just you, but all the other men like James uh, Lankford and women um, like Kathy McMorris Rogers and uh, Vicki Hartzler and and Cindy Hyde-Smith and others. We're a women's organization, so that's who I tend to spend most of my time with, but women and men who are believers and solid Christians that are called to serve, their nation, in public policy, and, uh, and I think that is an important ministry, mm-hmm. just like being called to the pulpit. Mm-hmm. It's an, and we, we need, can't give that short shift. We've got to recognize that and pray for you all. So we will be in prayer for you. Thank you so much for sharing your story and being willing to put yourself out there and to lead and, um, and to serve.
1: Thank you for having me on, it's been fun.
0: As we wrap up, I'd ask you just to take one moment and advocate on behalf of adoption. We've talked about all the different ways that you can serve in an ethic of life and really celebrate Adoption Month. Um, We're going into a new Congress and there's a really important bill. I'd like to ask you to call and ask your congressmen and senators to support the Child Welfare Inclusion Act. In the House, it's H.R. 1881 by Mike Kelly from Pennsylvania. We were talking about the importance of supporting religious providers of adoption and foster care and helping them to continue to be active um, and to avoid discrimination based on their religious beliefs on marriage. So again, we need more people involved in foster care and adoption, not less, and that's what this bill does. It just enables people to be included in the process, H.R. 1881. Folks, that's all the time we've got today. I hope you've enjoyed this important podcast and uh, broadcast on the issue of adoption. Again, just pray and ask God what He has for you on this issue, and, and I'll do that as well. Until next time, use your voice. Thanks for listening. Use Your Voice is a ministry of Concerned Women for America, the largest public policy women's organization in the nation. For more information, visit concernedwomen.org. That's concernedwomen.org.